This is Dr. C, and I'm stoked to welcome you to an episode of Christory the Podcast. When history is told by Christine, the good old days, and even the not-so-good old days, will make you nod your head. I'm glad you made it to the party. Let's do this. Wishing you welcome again to Christory, where history rules and it's always an adventure, at least the history that we explore here, because we leave the boring stuff and the beaten track to someone else. This is Dr. Christine Contrada, and in today's episode of Christory, we're dedicating it to commemorating September 11th of 2001. So here we are, 22 years later, taking a look back on what many millennials and Gen Xers define as the most significant historical event of their lifetimes. Time flies faster and faster, it seems. If you feel this way, you aren't alone. Research out of Harvard has suggested that there's a reason for this. Apparently, the speeding up of time with age may be due to neurological signal processing. So over time, the rate at which humans process visual information slows down significantly. And this is what makes time speed up or seem to as we get older. Now, don't let the science scare you. It's actually pretty interesting research. So as we age, the size and complexity of the networks of neurons in our brains increases. Electrical signals must travel greater distances, and thus it takes more time. Moreover, aging causes our nerves to accumulate damage that provide resistance to the flow of electrical signals. So long story short, in terms of visual perception, we end up with fewer frames per second. So more actual time passes between the perception of new mental images. When we're young, actual time is packed with many more mental images. It's like a slow motion camera. It just moves slower. It's a pretty interesting theory, but I'm not that kind of doctor. But time is something that historians know all too well. For example, We need time as historians to distance ourselves from events, to explore the event fully. We need time for the effects to become clear, time for the documents to surface, time for the oral histories to be collected. History must have a timeline that includes both cause and effect, otherwise it isn't history. So as a historian, back to 2001 I go. On September 11th of 2001, Members of the militant Islamic terrorist organization Al-Qaeda hijacked four commercial airlines in the United States. At 8.46, the first plane crashed into the North Tower of the World Trade Center in Lower Manhattan. At 9.03, a second plane smashed into the South Tower. The other plane hit the Pentagon, and another plane crashed into a field in Pennsylvania. In New York... Both 110-story buildings came crashing to the ground, thus killing more than 3,000 people and injuring more than 25,000. Now, the investigation has shown that by flying planes of that size at that speed, with that amount of jet fuel, just having them run into a building like that, that effectively is creating an enormous fireball. Now, the building's collapse wasn't due to poor design on the part of the building, but despite that incredible damage, the towers didn't fall on impact. When they did, and the buildings like this, they don't fall like trees. They're actually 90% air and only about 10% solid. 
So the materials in the top of the building, as it falls down, it crushes the stories underneath. So you have 110 stories of structure that were crushed into 11 stories of rubble. But I'm not just talking about buildings. I mean, 22 years on, it's so hard to put the emotions of that day into words. For New Yorkers, this attack felt deeply personal. Why the World Trade Center? Well, this is a dominant part of the New York City skyline. But more than that, it was a symbol of the United States' global influence and economic might. So if you were around, you absolutely remember the day, I'll bet. And if you weren't, this event changed the world that you were born into. And this is what I remember. I had just started a PhD program in history at the State University of New York at Stony Brook. It was a gorgeous September day in New York. The air was crisp. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. And I remember walking across campus early in the morning, basically kicking rocks because I wished that I was at the beach surfing. At 8.46, when the first plane hit, I was sitting as a TA in my first week as a graduate student TAing for medieval history. There were no smartphones, but just as we let the class go, you know, just after 9.15, we knew that something was very wrong. Old school flip phones started pinging and ringing, and students had come in from the hallway talking about a plane hitting the Twin Towers. We thought it was a small plane, but rushing across campus back to the history department and coming out of the elevators on the third floor, I saw everyone crowded looking downright ill. People were crying, and that's when it became very clear that it was something far more insidious. And like so many, I felt helpless. I felt overwhelmed with sadness and a sense of how could this happen? I wanted answers. I wanted justice. Honestly, my first thought wasn't so much fear. It was that I should get in my car and head towards the city, which in hindsight sounds insane. But then I thought, what could I do to help? And then I felt anger. And I'll never forget the anger. I mean, my blood boiled like an Italian-American fuse set off in madness. How dare you attack my city, my home, and kill innocent people? That was a civilian target. And that makes the World Trade Center fundamentally different than the attack on the Pentagon, which was a military target. An attack on a military target is effectively declaring war. But a civil target gives terrorists far more power because of the fear that it produces. Now, terrorists want to make us afraid. And as psychological studies have shown, what they want and what they get are two different things. So the reaction to 9-11 overwhelmingly, like my reaction, was more anger than fear. So one could make the argument that the terror attack failed, because rather than hiding, Americans generally were pretty vocal right away that they were experiencing moral outrage and that they had a desire for vengeance due to the immorality of the crime of mass murder. Effectively, the terrorists messed up. They had inadvertently created a martyr. Really, in hindsight, being in a history department was probably the best place to be, because it was a sea of bright minds who have a clear-eyed global lens. It takes historical depth to understand something so heinous, it has to have a context. But the attack was a shock, 
But it wasn't a surprise, because historically there's plenty of warnings. We knew why it happened. It made sense. We just never thought it would happen. 9-11 was the day at the dawn of my journey to be a historian when I learned how important history really is, because without it, we're rudderless to understand such complex situations. Explaining the why and understanding it, of course, doesn't eliminate the emotional impact. And for me, the emotional impact, it was the posters. The posters of the missing that were put up by family and friends desperate to find their loved ones. Because it's one thing to say, oh, 3,000 souls. It's another thing entirely to see their faces The other thing that makes me upset to this day are the photos and the videos of the first responders running towards the flames. And there's two historical points that I'd like to make. Number one, terrorism is not nude human history. It's been kicking around since the dawn of civilization. And fear is a very powerful thing because fear equals control. I mean, just ask Machiavelli. The U.S. had convinced itself that a large-scale terrorist attack like this was not something that could happen in the United States, and that gave a false sense of security based on this idea of global domination of the U.S. after the Cold War. 9-11 shattered that idea, and terrorists don't call themselves terrorists, by the way. They see themselves in the right and that these are necessary actions. It's the victims of the violence that see otherwise and give the label of terrorist. And the second point is that you can't fight a traditional war in response to this brand of terrorism. It doesn't work. But let me explain. And the U.S. did try to go to war. Now, President Bush, with overwhelming support, at least at first, unleashed the U.S. military-industrial beast and invaded Afghanistan because Afghanistan was under Taliban control. It was the Taliban that had harbored al-Qaeda. So this war would end up costing upwards of $2 trillion. In comparison, it's scary how little money it took al-Qaeda to pull off this terrorist attack. 9-11, they didn't have to pay any mercenaries. They didn't have to build any weapons. They didn't have to buy any weapons. All they needed was a few radicalized monsters who weren't afraid to die, a couple of plane tickets, and some small knives. You don't need a government's infrastructure to do what they did. And actually, it's better not to have one so that you're under the radar while you plan your dastardly deed. Now, traditionally, an attack on a nation is a declaration of war in which the nation under attack might then also attack another nation state which is exactly what we tried to do, but there was no nation state because now these cells are global and they can easily go underground or move locations. It's like using a flamethrower to burn a feather blowing in the breeze. In hindsight, one would look at the invasion of an Al-Qaeda-friendly state and think, hmm, that was really not a good idea, but that's in hindsight. It would be the same if you looked at World War I and the trench warfare in hindsight and all of those millions of infantry soldiers that were ordered by generals to rush into no man's land to take enemy lines in the way that wars were always fought. 
but it no longer worked in the face of machine guns and mustard gas. The world learned its lesson before World War II, which was not fought with those same mistakes. New mistakes, but not the same old ones. Same thing here. The world is learning how to combat global terrorism. Now we rely on drones, intelligence, and special operations channels rather than ground combat. For the last two decades, annually on September 11th, New York has memorialized the more than 3,000 lives lost through a ceremony at Ground Zero where each name is read. Also, beams of light are sent into the sky in the shape of the World Trade Center every year. There have been memorial runs, and in more recent years, these runs have been to raise funds for those that are sick. First responders were told when the towers came down that it was safe to enter the area, and it wasn't. 9-11 cancer has killed as many firefighters as died in the towers that day. So here's to John Stewart for demanding health care for these brave men and women at a federal level and rightfully shaming Congress for denying it while he was at it. Because of their bravery working in that toxic air, first responders pulled 20 survivors out of the rubble of the fallen towers. And it wasn't just first responders who responded. Overwhelmingly, New Yorkers wanted to help each other. Nearly 36,000 units of blood were donated to the New York Blood Center in the days after the September 11th attack. That's incredible. And New York built back because that's what New York does. And today, the foundation of the Twin Towers is a massive water installation, which is set into the footprint of where the towers once stood. At ground level, it's surrounded by a wall with the names of those killed. It's a remarkably peaceful and moving place, and a powerful place. Now, One World Trade Center, which is also called the Freedom Tower, is now the tallest building in New York. It's the fourth largest building in the world. It has a height of 1,776 feet. 1776 salutes the year of the signing of the Declaration of Independence. New Yorkers remain of the mind never to forget. To that end, on the 20th anniversary of September 11th, I ran 9.11 miles around Stony Brook's campus, making sure that the last leg of my run was from the classroom that I was teaching in to a small 9-11 memorial on campus. Last year on September 11th, I went to the small memorial in Rome. And that was the seed for Christory, the podcast. It was a quote from Santayana on the base of the Roman columns that read, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Without historical memory, we are truly lost. And this is the power of history. To me, 9-11 is a reminder of the young and innocent me who marched off to graduate school armed with a passion for history, despite the challenges of facing a 10-year program and knowing that there was no economic incentive to study history. I did it anyway, because history matters. This year, I'm going to do the same. I'm going to dodge crazy Roman traffic, and I'm going to stand in the middle of that dusty intersection in the heat with my meth hat on, and I'm going to turn my face towards New York. Never forget Maybe it's still raw because there was no justice. 
Honestly, it's quite easy to get truly infuriated about it. But in 2011, a Navy SEAL team raided Osama bin Laden's bunker in Pakistan, killing him. But there was no trial and no real sense of justice. And today there are five men sitting in Guantanamo Bay who have been accused of orchestrating these attacks. The death sentence seems to be off the table. And the plea bargaining continues 22 years on. But let's not focus on them. Rather, let's focus on the 343 firefighters who raced up the stairs to their deaths trying to save people. This is the bravery that is unsurpassed in this story. I highly recommend watching the National Geographic special 9-11, One Day in America, which was released in 2021. It started with a film crew that happened to be filming a documentary about the fire department in Lower Manhattan on a routine call. They were filming the crew when the first plane hit the tower a couple of blocks away, and the cameraman went with Joseph Pfeiffer, the first fire chief, to get to Ground Zero and then filmed his story. This is a six-part series that showcases the bravery of first responders and survivors, with a focus on first-hand accounts. It'll bring you to tears, but out of devastation comes hope and a story of remarkable courage. I choose to spend time today thinking about New Yorkers, their bravery, their tenacity, their tough-as-nails, no-BS attitude, and their enormous hearts. The cowards who did this made a mistake. They underestimated New York both the strength that it takes to make it in New York and the care that we have for each other. Today, I'm proud of New York. Today, I'm proud to be a New Yorker. It's like the t-shirt, although no New Yorker would ever be caught wearing that out of the house. I love New York. As former Governor George Pataki said, on that terrible day, a nation became neighbors. All Americans became New Yorkers. And in truth, terror attacks are designed to destroy nations. In this case, it backfired. In that moment, Americans came together bonded by sadness and patriotism, and we rose up and said, we ain't going out like that. That's the band Cypress Hill. Or if you prefer the classics, takes Virgil's Aeneid. This Roman poet wrote, No day shall erase you from the memory of time. That quote taken out of context because in context of the Aeneid, it would actually suggest the memory of those that killed thousands are the ones to remain in our memory. Ironically, the quote stands on the wall of the 9-11 Memorial Museum. But out of context, it's meant to remind us of the power of historical memory And to that end, raising my coffee cup high to the spirit of resilience and rebirth. See you next time, and thank you for coming along for this ride. Catch you later.